going to go straight to our special guest of the evening, guys. We have an actor extraordinaire who uh, can be seen in um, this amazing movie, Amsterdam, that I got a chance to ch check out this oh, wow. past Friday. Uh, and he's appeared in The Staircase, Gray Man, Better Call Saul, Stranger Things. Man, what um, an amazing resume. Actor Martin Harris. Thanks Yay. for joining us here on BTB. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I got to admit, yeah, Amsterdam. Wow, what a film to be a part of. That is basically the most A-list cast I've ever seen in one project. When you got uh, word that you would be working on that film, what were your initial thoughts? Okay, so I was sitting at home for like eight, nine months during pandemic. So I was used to that lifestyle, and then suddenly I got a phone call that I have to be on set, and I come <laughs> to set and I see Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, Michael Shannon, Anya Taylor-Joy, Margot Robbie, a Christian Bale, <laughs> my first day. <laughs> By the way, Christian Bale, who, when when we started filming, uh, like he came to us because he, I think I think he was friends with Colin Camp, and I was sitting with Colin Camp, who who played in this movie one of the characters as well. And I think they knew each other from the past, so he came. And then I realized after the whole day of filming and, and my realization even got you know, more confirmed in upcoming days that he was talking to, to Colin and to us uh, as himself, but using the mannerism of the character he was playing. So he <laughs> broke the character throughout the whole filming. So never, not for a second. Wow. wow, and your character is one of the bun chanters, and I remember that scene. It's one of the scenes at the end, of, towards the end of the film, correct? Yeah. We're on stage, and uh, yeah, I, I, ca I caught that scene. Uh, uh, you, uh, in, uh, I guess, in some kind of military attire, yes? Yes, yes. yes. The, scene, the scene, you know, it, I'll tell you a funny story. I've never, I've never said the whole story before. So the scene was a little bit different, the way we shot it, and I think they edited things around and and so we didn't really filmed we didn't really chant at Robert De Niro initially okay we had that battle we, first we had that battle with uh, of course Margo David Chris Rock when we you know shouted each other then it goes gets into a fight but it was just a longer sequence but it started like the scene that we initially filmed was prior to Robert De Niro giving a speech there was like a, a, a yes. he had with Christian, which we, like we chanted them, and Robert De Niro says that he's not gonna give the speech if we are not removed from the building. Ah. So we are getting removed from the building by Alessandro Nivola and uh, and the other guy, uh, Matthias Schönert, while Alessandro Nivola is secretly kind of on our side. So in the final version of the film, they didn't go with that angle, I think. And yeah. Is there a disappointment with that when, when things get edited? You know what? I, it's just different. And, and it was a little bit longer, I guess. But at the same time, the way it is, it's a, it's a fun beat. And it makes sense. I think it works well for, for the whole structure of the film. I think it's great that they end with De Niro's speech because I think it's a very substantial speech. I think it, it, it's important what he talks about. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's the right message that comes out with this film. And if, we, if they ended up with, with all that quirkiness and all that dark humor of what we were trying to do, I would say it will be more into dark comedy than into sending a message. So they went with sending a message. Right. Yeah, and it did have some dark comedy aspects to it. Of course, it, yeah. It was, yeah, and then it had some death involved. We, we, ju we just watched another uh, um, dark comedy in uh, Banshees of Inishir, and, and then now we're talking about your film. Um, tell us a little bit about um, working uh, close closely, because you were right there uh, with with Christian Bale, with Robert De Niro. Did you talk, like, in between takes? Did you get a, a chance to chat maybe in craft services, <laughs> catering maybe? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, with with some of those people, absolutely. With Robert De Niro, who was my childhood hero, I wouldn't dare. Yes. To, <laughs> I would be starstruck. I'm like, Mr. De Niro, I wouldn't dare to do that, no. So, oh. But he was extremely professional. He would come to set, he would leave right. the set, he would come to set, do his thing, he would leave the set. But, uh, yeah, we, we talked between each other, of course. We t I spoke with uh, 
a little bit with Rami, a little bit with Margo, but at the same time, yeah. inspired by Christian at the very beginning when I was on set mm. and the way he was in character throughout the whole thing. Very I, method. Very method. Yeah, exactly. I I felt like I made a decision that I'm going to be the the angry mad Nazi. Like the the other two guys who are with me, they're more like normal. I'm I'm I decided I'm going to go 110% angry. <laughs> and no, it's funny because when I did that and and I was that's why I stayed away from people on that last day a little bit, you know. Yeah. But when I did that, it felt good in the moment, you know. And then later they put it in the trailer. They put it in every single trailer, like that little bit. So wow. I was that it worked you know the decision i made you know it kind of worked because it it looks like an angry nazi yeah <laughs> and it's not the first time i yeah. played a nazi it's actually my go-to role i played it 15 times oh yeah it seems like that yeah i mean you're, you're polish by nationality but yeah you know these uh german roles and then and, and, and yes. you know Eastern yeah, european yeah. roles come up very often don't they yeah, yeah, I actually did, did uh, grow up partially in Germany, so I uh, oh, wow. I I speak English more with German accent than with Polish accent. Okay. Yeah, and I and I think uh, also like I look more German Scandinavian than Eastern European. I still sometimes get those roles, but I don't have like a typical Russian look, which sometimes mm -hmm. hurts me when I go against actors who you know who look more Russian than I do. Right, and I want to get into some of those other roles, but really quick, I was curious how what was it like being directed by David O. Russell? Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you this. It's a, it, listen, you guys are getting from me premium stuff because I've never said it before. Give it to us. You know how I got the part? I'll tell you that. Yes, please. So we know what to do for, for we're both actors here, myself and Elisa. Okay. Actors, so. so, so they told David that I'm the German speaker and David, looks into my eyes and he says, tell me in German, Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. And I said it and he said, you are hired. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That is yeah. great. Yeah. Was, was this in the, the audition process or? No, I mean, I, it, this was kind of an audition process, you know, oh, like wow. an audition audition. I was pretty much brought to David and, and you know, and he hired me on the spot. Pretty much that was that's what happened yeah you know wow. and it happened other people on set you know i like one of the guys was uh, i think um he told me the story i think that's like actually a funny story one of the actors told me that that he was uh in he's like a karate, karate master yes. and he was he was in his dojo and they told him that there is a private client that wants wants to wants to take a class and it was david and and they became friends and then he he also brought him on board of the film Oh, wow. Look at that. Very, very That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, because I'm seeing your credit on IMDb as a consultant. So are you are you hired when you're a consultant for, for maybe German dialect coaching, perhaps? Yeah, sometimes I do that. Sometimes, yeah. I, do, sometimes I do Polish. Sometimes uh, I work in post-production as a linguist. Uh, that, 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 that was more in the past. Right now, I would say I act more, but it, it, it happens sometimes, yes. Yeah, I saw that with Top Gun Maverick, Sonic. Scream, yeah. Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, I was mm -hmm. looking here at some of your uh, consultant credits. Yes. And you do need that. You need someone that speaks proper Polish, speaks proper German to be able to help the other actors if they have to have an accent or, you know. Uh, and I, I know how important that is for, for the project. So, and you know, early uh, on, it seems like you did a lot of voice acting. Yeah, I did a lot of voice acting, but I'll just yeah. tell you one little thing. You know, like I had a decision when I decided to fully focus on acting a couple of years ago, like I'd say five, six years ago. I had a decision to make and I, I was thinking, should I spend the next, let's say, three, four years trying to reduce accent to speak like an American person, you know? Right. Everybody's American, but you know what I mean, like standard American. Yeah, to broaden your yeah. range. Yeah. Exactly. Standard or, American. Exactly. And I think I'm still going to, that's my next step to probably get like a southern accent. I think that's 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 a goal for me because I kind of, the, the older I get, I think the more I look that way. So... <laughs> Less Nazi or Southernish. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you got but, I, but I'll tell you. So I made a decision that instead I'm gonna, you know, invest my time into learning more languages, more European languages. So now I speak eight different languages. 
Whoa. Wow. Yeah, and I play Croatian roles, I play Czech roles, I play German roles, I play Russian roles, I play Danish, I played Dutch recently on a film, you know, so that's fantastic. That helps me also in voiceover work, so to, to connect both both topics. Yeah. You speak Dutch, you say? I love I love it too much, but I I'm able to do it and I you know I had my friend I have a friend of mine who is uh, one of the leads on the show. Uh, our flag means death. He's Dutch. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and when I have a Dutch job, I I run things by him, and he tells me what I say right what I say. Wow. I mean, I really there really is something to just stay, staying true to who you are. I remember um, this is like so many years ago, but in the show Treme, which is David Simon's, you know, the series that he did in in New Orleans after yeah. The Wire. And um, at the time, my friend, uh, she was an actress in New York, and she was actually a nanny for McKeel Hoosman and his wife. They had just moved to the States, and he had a big audition coming up, and they wanted this guy who played a guitar. You kind of didn't know where he was, but he was supposed to be like a vagabond kind of, you know, musician. And he was really self-conscious. He was like, I've been working on getting rid of my accent, but... I can't really do this role and play the guitar and do all this stuff in this audition process and, 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 and be, you know, present essentially. I have too many of like these technical things and they're like, you know what, just, just do how you're going to do it. And, you know, if you're right, you're right. And not, and instead they made it so that his character was actually a foreign, you know, musician who kind of like finds his way called to the streets of new orleans because of the music even if he doesn't have a place to stay or any money in his pocket so they really wrote it into the character because you know it just fit <laughs> so i think you made the right choice that's amazing and i also was looking at your imdb i'm a huge better call Saul fan i did not watch um much of the breaking bad before i started watching yeah. better call Saul. Um, and it's funny because I know exactly who you are in, in, uh, in the series, the, the German bartender. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. and it's such a pivotal, like, um, story arc, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this whole time spent in Germany in the last season. Yeah. So how, how was that? How was working on that set? It was incredible. I, like in the last three years, I was lucky that uh, every single job I did on those major, major productions, I, I had at least one very good friend out of it. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that I became very close friends with the lady that plays Madeleine Ziegler. Uh -huh. yes. in, in that episode, we're very, Andrea, we're, we're very good, close friends right now. So, that's, so awesome. that's great. Uh, I remember that, you know, when I, when we came, it was me and those two other, the German, the German kids that, that mm -hmm. play the games, they flew us together. So we were spending all, all our time together. We're staying in the same hotel. Uh, remember that when we checked into the hotel, uh, there was a letter from, from Bob Adenkirk waiting for all mm -hmm. of us. Personal <gasps> letter, like, uh, thank you for joining the last, you know, the last season of, of my show. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everybody was so incredibly nice and, and inclusive. And, and Tony Dalton, for him, that was his comeback to the to the series that was like his comeback scene and the way it was shot well my, my first reaction when i saw that is like oh the camera is not on me at the beginning but then it makes perfect sense because it's it's the reveal that he's in germany right yeah right. and people are like oh lao is alive you know yeah yeah very, it was such cool. a i what a cool like, what an awesome scene as I'm saying like it's such a pivotal scene and a pivotal story arc and the last season of this amazing series like Absolutely. you really you really <laughs> got like the the golden egg I don't know what to, the golden ticket <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what one, one more thing that I finished watching the show and I got one bad habit from uh, from from Better Call Saul. Oh I can't God. stop eating. Uh, what's it called? Cinnabons. I keep <laughs> oh. <laughs> ever since. <laughs> That's, That's hilarious. The cinnabon. I, I cannot stop. That that show for me personally, because, you know, being in Albuquerque, New Mexico for the rest of it, is they're always right. talking about these like really amazing taco places. <laughs> I would always leave watching, you know, I'd binge watch, you know, episodes at a time. And then I'd be like, oh, I need to get tacos like right now. But so Cinnabon was, was the but you know what I 
you know what I've learned and I, I didn't know, but it makes perfect sense. Cause like I couldn't understand before I went there why Breaking Bad is placed in Albuquerque. I'm like, okay, you know, like you have different locations, you know, they shoot, let's say wire in, in Baltimore, they shoot exactly. other shows, you know, Atlanta, but why, why Albuquerque, why Albuquerque? Mm -hmm. And then when I was in Albuquerque and I spoke to a guy who was driving us around, he was working as a driver for, for this, uh, for this season, I think, or a few episodes, he was a former cop, and he told me how much of a of a meth problem is in Albuquerque. Mm. Like wow. how do you deal with that, and it's like the the, the capital of meth problem mm -hmm. in the United States. And then then I understood why. Now it makes sense. Breaking yeah. Bad, Better Call Saul, yeah. Well, I want to talk about Stranger Things because that's one of my <gasps> favorite shows. Oh yeah. Prisoner Number Two, working very closely with David Harbor and the, and the yeah. Russian. Prison uh, scenes. Uh, tell us about your experience on set of that show. You know, that was that was incredible. I'd say it all started with Amsterdam because Amsterdam was my first job after after pandemic, like in the middle of pandemic, after right. doing anything during pandemic. And I, initially, I was super bummed because I had a very good time right before pandemic, where I was where I started finding a rhythm and, and booking a lot of work. I did uh, NCSLA, I did Black Lighting, I did Red Notice uh, with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds, just right. Mm. And then I'm on set in Atlanta the last day before pandemic, and I'm hearing that people are looting pretty much all the supermarkets in Los Angeles. So the, the last thing I did before leaving, I, I, I got two uh, rolls of uh, toilet paper from my hotel room. That was it. So so Amsterdam gave me like the new this new confidence. Like after rocking Amsterdam, I remember the last day I went home and it finally got to me who I worked with and what kind of project it is because I wasn't thinking, I was focusing on giving the best possible performance. And then I got home and it kind of hit me. And I'm like, it it gave me like a like an extra kick of energy. Yes. And I think the next day I auditioned for Grayman and I booked it. And I think they later auditioned for Stranger Things and I booked it. So I went to shoot Stranger Things. Initially, I didn't know anything about it. We weren't getting any information what we're doing. I didn't know oh, my role is. Because for three years, I've auditioned for this show for three years. We we're getting the same scripts, audition mm -hmm. scripts. One was the uh, scene from Alien. One was the scene from Casino Royale. They, they do that. They do, they and give you I forgot like bogus about. scripts from other films yeah. because it's yeah. so secretive, yes. So we were getting sites for the next day, literally 10 p.m. night before the day we were working. We were working like from like 6, 6 a.m. There were insecure links that you couldn't download it. Oh, yeah. Personal. Wow. So, you if, you know, they, they know who is getting it. It, they were, and we signed all kinds of DNAs. I couldn't tell. I couldn't put on uh, my uh, casting profile. I couldn't put yes. on breakdowns that I worked the show until it came out. Until it came out, yeah. But you know what? Great that they did that because when the show came out, I realized how popular it is by the number of people I haven't talked to for the last 25, 30 years reaching out to me that they saw me on Stranger Things. By amount of people that were, you know, randomly asking me for like weird, completely weird uh, questions, <laughs> including can I uh, uh, take a dedication from Millie Bobby Brown for? They think you're the way to Millie Bobby Brown. I don't think that's funny. Yeah. That is crazy. Tell us about the set uh, with building that Russian prison. And also, did that shoot in Atlanta as well? Yep. Uh, that was in Atlanta. I think they went right for the last final month. They went to uh, New Mexico. I think they filmed okay. some of the stuff there, but it wasn't the Russian part. So he, here is how it happened. So because I, I spoke with everyone, we became friends. We we're pretty much quarantined together for two weeks before we even stepped on the on set for the first time. Right. And when I got that job, I was super paranoid not to test positive. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. you know stupid circumstance i had three masks on the plane they, they could then, be cast if you did yeah right? then, then in a hotel i would never get into elevator with another person i would right. see someone in the elevator okay keep going yep. i'm going to the next one right yeah and and i was cooking i was cooking in my hotel room for for those two weeks of quarantine <laughs> and uh, it was a very small room so it was easily you know it pretty much pretty much in, in day two 
there was so much smoke that the smoke <laughs> went off. And someone is coming to my room and I'm stay away, stay away from me. Because, you, know, you didn't want to get, uh, you didn't want to get COVID and lose the job because every day you were, were getting those emails from network that all your contracts are uh, contingent of you not testing positive for COVID. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to miss that gig for sure. 100%. Yeah. It's not about getting COVID the disease. It's all, it's about losing the job. You know? yeah. That's why we don't. Yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. Wow. And, uh, so, so it all started the first day we went on set. It was for the rehearsal for the final scene. So we oh. did the rehearsal with stunts. We did the re rehearsal with the guy who was wearing the the green suit uh, with like a little stick. Oh, as the Demogorgon, right? Yeah, who who was being the Demogorgon? Yeah. So we did that first, and then we went uh, for those three episodes I was working on, pretty much every single scene. Every single scene. How did you? Uh, what was your experience with David Harbour? I love him. Incredible. They sat us. Uh, they sat us next to each other for the for the dinner scene. Yes, I remember that scene. Yes. Yeah. So uh, there was a moment where during between takes, there was like a like a big pig's head right in front of me and him. Yeah. He he like pointed out at it and he said, "Aren't people crazy <laughs> that they want to eat that kind of stuff?" But uh, on on the other hand, uh, we were we were there for the whole day. And we're eating like, you know, for every day, we're eating like crazy. So I think I ate like 15 sausages. Uh, that <laughs> there was a lot of food. I was curious yep. if you were actually literally eating it. Looked from, like from actually, because I checked, from actually uh, the Russian, the only Russian like uh, uh, deli place there is in Atlanta, they were they, they brought like, traditional Russian food, you know. Wow, you got to make it look legit. You, mm -hmm. One Even Russian bread. restaurant in Atlanta. Classic gotta... Russian bread. Was a typical Russian bread, rye bread, yeah. Wow. Did you have? Did you have to? So did you eat all of those sausages, or were you? I did, yeah. Discarding <laughs> it. Wow. And did you have to do any like stunts or running sequence after that? Because it, I mean, the way it flows, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, after it's edited and stuff, as you know, straight from meal time to run time or <laughs> fight time. I think that. I think, as I remember correctly, the the whole day was just eating pretty much. So uh, okay. yeah, the running was, was on a different day. Eating some more. Yeah, the physical right. stuff a different day. Close-ups, yeah, but yeah, pretty much eating. That is oh. so cool, man. Yeah, and that's actually really good planning on production's part because, like, you don't oh, need yeah. you know, there's like 15 guys or whatever all oh, doubled yeah. over with cramps because they just shoveled a bunch of food in their mouth, and now you're asking them to, you know run at full speed 20 times, you know, at a, at a monster. From the <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We were asked and we were asked uh, via emails a few days prior to that, what, what type of food we prefer to eat, what type of food we don't prefer to eat. I think they made a list of who said what, because they placed the stuff that we really liked in front of us, you know, mm -hmm. like things that we wanted to eat were, Cater to individual preferences. Yes. In in the placement where it was on the table. Oh right. wow, that's clever to know. Wow. If only they had Cinnabon in 1980s Russia, right? Like I, I, that was. Yeah, before I shot Pedro Cosol, so I wouldn't know about it. Oh, oh, okay, that's right, that's right. My bad. That's that right. is so cool, and of course, a very, very pivotal scene because, yeah, you you face the the Demogorgon after that, and yeah. Most of you uh, sadly met your fate in that scene, right? <laughs> exactly. And and they are they the way they because there were only six Russian roles, right? And they right. start actually filmed the very first bit that is I think episode two of, of that season. I think they filmed in Lithuania. They went to Lithuania oh. at the end of 2019. Okay. And the pandemic happened, so they changed the whole production to Atlanta. They built the whole set, they built the whole prison. Everything looked completely real. The snow, what about the snow? Yeah, the, the snow, snow machine. Right, but, uh, but it, kept, it kept falling. And, and the tough part was we were kneeling on that ice in that scene when he's telling us the rules. And then we, we, we run and, and get, get the weapons. We were kneeling on that, on that very hard surface for the, excuse me, for the whole day. And that was tough. That that part was really tough. Wow. Yeah. 
That's so cool. All right, the staircase. I saw that on your reel. I saw your uh, your um, theatrical reel, um, yeah. and I saw that that role. How was that experience? You had a different look. The suit, the glasses. Yeah, the, the German glasses. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How's that experience? Incredible experience, and I'll tell you why. It's it's kind of a crazy story because they told me last minute about that job. I think someone something must have happened because uh, they called me on Friday. And I was on my way to my birthday party that my friends were throwing for me in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. And I got a phone call that I had to do a COVID test and fly to Atlanta the next day. Oh. So obviously that changed the whole dynamic around my birthday. And, I, you know, when I was like, you wear a mask? Now you're like. When I was able to celebrate, I wasn't celebrating as much. But then the best birthday gift I could, I could uh, think of. So the cool story I'll tell you is this, and there are actually a couple of wild stories around that shoot, but I'll tell you the first one. Okay. So I spoke with my UK agent, Sarah, and I told her that I booked the staircase and I'll have a scene with Colin Firth. And she's like, oh, I know him. I'll tell him to say hi. I'm like, okay. And I, so I came on set. The first day I think was Monday or Tuesday. I, I might have had a fitting, fitting, which I had with Juliet Binoche, on Monday and then I had the first day was Tuesday. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was just two of us at the fitting, which was insane because I watched her as a kid in, in Kieślowski movies. And <laughs> wow. so so that was Colin's first day after he had a break because he got COVID and that was his first day back. And when when he found out that I'm playing the German reporter, he came to me and he said, Sarah is a good friend of mine. Uh, she told me that you'll be here. I just want to say hi. My name is Colin, like I didn't know, right? <laughs> 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 and uh and you know she represents his son that's that's how they know each other she she represents his son uh, in united united kingdom and and colin was extremely nice the first day i was sitting you know waiting for the scene with with sophie turner odessa young and patrick schwarzenegger and odessa brought a book and she was reading a book and she told me that that's how she gets Focus before she 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 films her scenes. That she reads like a chapter of a book that gets her like grounded, focused, and then she goes and, and does the job. So after my first day on the staircase, um, the next day my call time was uh, I think like 1 p.m. Or, or noon. I was living next to Georgia Tech University, so I went to their bookstore. So I'm like, now I have to bring a book on set. <laughs> I went to that bookstore, but they, all they had was the technical stuff, like how to operate a machine, you know, like how to <laughs> how to drive or whatever, you know. So, so I had I, I had difficulty finding the right book, but then I finally found uh, found uh, Plato and his phil philosophical. Uh, I think it was uh, a dialogue between Socrates and the other philosopher. So I brought that on set, and Odessa, like Odessa, saw me. She's like, "Oh, we'll have an intellectual conversation." Yeah. Then I hear from the other side of the room, like, and someone saying, "Plato, huh? Plato, you brought Plato." And that was Michael Stuhlbarg, who is one of my. <gasps> me too. Oh, I love him. Did it on Broadway, and then we had a conversation <laughs> for like an hour about everything. Wow. You know. Oh so wow. What triggers what? Sometimes those magical moments happen. Wow. Oh my gosh, I love that. And uh, Michael Stolberg is just yeah. the most. He's, you know, when they talk about star power, you know, being how you get butts in seats, you know, how do you get people out of the house and doing, and again, Michael Stolberg is one of those people for me. I mean, if I say that he's part of a cast, then I'm like, I'm there, I'm there. It doesn't matter what it is. And I actually saw him on, I didn't realize it was him at the time, but uh, um, in Pillow Man on Broadway. I didn't realize that uh, that that was him back there. He was kind of uh, overshadowed a little bit by Jeff Goldblum being, you know, right. part of the cast at the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but um, oh, that's so yeah, awesome. He's got the quality. He's got the quality. Like I understand, you know, like I understand where I am as an actor in terms of like what type of career can I have? You know, I'm I'm not Brad T Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Leonardo DiCaprio type of an actor like like Luke was. I'm more of a character actor. For me, the inspirations are people like Paul Giamatti, Michael Stuhlbarg, Michael Shannon, 
whom I met on mm, Amsterdam right. and who I talked to on the red carpet in New York when I went uh, for the premiere last last month. You know, like those are my inspirations because those are like the best of the best character actors. I love and, that. And when see Michael Stuhlbart, for example, in Dope Sick, like how amazing he is in that, in that show. And then you yeah. watch him on the staircase and he's completely different on the staircase. And he brings this quality that everything he does looks so simple and so easy, but it's not easy. It's different yeah. every single time. That's yeah. the sign of a true Really, artist. really and truly. Yeah, yes. you're absolutely right. I, I, I always think of him in um, Trumbo, Trumbo. And he, I feel like he was in like a ton of movies that year, like just in that award season. Um, when Trumbo and um, Blue Jasmine and like all of these movies and I just there's something that's distinctly him which is what you also need as a character actor right um, but also completely different as the character he embodies a completely different person and especially if you're watching a bunch of screeners back to back it's something that you can appreciate because you're can really judge you know see them right next to each other so, uh, I love that for you. I'm so happy that you got to work with Michael Stolberg too. Oh. Yeah, and, and I could have, I could have, first of all, I could have not go to the to the bookstore. I could have made you know, a decision to not buy any books because there was not a single book that I was like, wow, I need to read that. Like, for example, during pandemic, I ordered or all Ian Fleming James Bond novels, and I read you know all of them because I'm a huge fan. Like here, there was not like one book I would be like okay, I need to read that. But I decided to get this one and that sparked the whole conversation with Michael Stuhlberg that would have never happened if I didn't yeah. do it. Yeah. Right. Well, speaking so, of authoring and books, uh, this is pretty awesome. I want to talk about this. You're, you started as an international sports writer, broadcaster, and author with specialty in NBA basketball, and you credit the late, great Kobe Bryant for giving you the advice to follow your dreams and become an actor. Can you talk yeah. to us about that moment when Kobe Bryant actually uh, was inspiration for that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I started my my thing as a, as a kid was I hoping to be I, I was hoping to become a rock star. I, I was convinced when I was eight, nine, ten years old that I'll be the, the next <laughs> uh, Joe Tempest from Europe or. Uh, <laughs> Heavy metal band called Army of Darkness back in the yeah, I did, I did, I did. We, we, we tried. Yeah. It was our best. It didn't work out. But it was the time when uh, grunge became popular. And I was very, uh, as a, especially in my younger days, I was very uh, like one sided when I, when I had an idea that I want to do something that had to be it. So we couldn't come to agreement about playing, as, you know, we couldn't compromise. I wanted to play clean metallic sound. My guitar guy wanted to play dirty sound because he was a fan of Nirvana at the time. And, and I wasn't. Fan of like, all. So, uh, so I was 17. I didn't know what to do. I just, you know, the label that was interested in signing us, you know, I, you know they, they liked me. They said, you seem, because I was uh, responsible for writing lyrics for us. Uh, so they said, why don't you write reviews for our uh, promotional materials? And that's how I got into writing in journalism. It's just after two years of writing about rock music, and I didn't want to write about pop music. I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find much income uh, from from doing that. And somebody told me, why don't you try sport? You always like sport. And in six months after I started writing about sport, I already started making you know, very good living out of it. And and, and I, get, I was getting a lot of offers to, because, you know, so I spoke English, which at the time in Poland wasn't really a common thing. And I could write about NBA, I could write about soccer. So I was getting a lot of uh, job offers. And after less than one year of doing doing my sports writing, I was sent to New York for All-Star Weekend as a, I believe 19 or 20 years old. And Kobe was almost exactly my age. So we kind of clicked. Wow at that time initially. And then I went to the NBA finals in Indianapolis when he won his first title. Then I went to Philadelphia when he won MVP, I believe of the All-Star game. My first trip to Los Angeles in 2003, I uh, saw him scoring 55 points against Michael Jordan in Michael Jordan's final game against him. So he came to me after that game and he said, you bring me luck. I want you around. No, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, and then four years later, I come in 2007, where I started getting tired from my from my sports writing career. I felt like I reached the ceiling where I 
don't feel inspired by it anymore. I just turned 30 years old and I was thinking, what next can I do in life? You know, like what, what can I find fulfilling? I was first, I was thinking about being a screenwriter. Then I went to see uh, Al Pacino on stage uh, here in LA. Uh, and there was also a very unknown actress at the time named Jessica Chastain. So I saw them performing live. Oh, and that was very inspiring. So I'm like, why don't, you know, maybe, maybe I should, think about doing that maybe i should try i don't know if i'm good enough but maybe i should try that will bring me to those like childhood dreams of being a rock star but now in the form of acting yeah uh, it was yeah it was 2007 and kobe brown wanted to get traded and he had like bunch of local media asking him questions after every game and i think when he saw me I, for him i was kind of an escape from that so he was talking to me and he was like, hey, Martin, let's go. Let's go from here, you know, because he didn't want to answer any more questions. So we were, we would walk, we would take walks in the tunnel after the games. And after one of the games, I remember precisely it was against Seattle Supersonics. Kevin Durant was a rookie on that team. We were, we were walking through from the Lakers locker room to the parking area. It's the hall, like a circle in Staples Center at the time. And it's like a good 10, 12 minutes walk. And then I ask him, Kobe, what do you what do you think I should do? Should I stick to what I have and play it safe and you know start a family and just earn money and have a career and, and live live my life like that? Or should I go crazy and move here and start from scratch and and try acting, try Hollywood? And he said, What is your heart telling you? I said, My heart is telling me to try. He said, then always follow your heart. Wow, that's wow. beautiful, man. That is incredible. You get advice from, from, from one of the greatest of all time that's played the sport of, of basketball, who sadly yeah. is no longer at us, died tragically in that. Yeah, I know, man. It's like in 2010, I saw, I saw him when he scored 60 points, and, and that was yeah. his final game. And at the time, I was already, because you know, my, like, transitional, my transitional career was, I was, I was doing a little bit of stand-up for a few years. Oh, and that's cool. how I got to, uh, to like to acting, acting, you know, it was awesome. a long process. So I was busy with that. I was running my own show at the comedy store and, and I, you know, like I didn't have time to go to games anymore. So we uh, lost touch for a few years. But then I came to the game. I remember till this day it was December 29th, 2019. He, he was with his daughter, Gianna, right? And he saw me in, like in the tunnel when he was leaving the, from, from the court area through the tunnel, he saw me in the right. tunnel and he gave me a big hug, you know, and he, I hope you were good, you know, like, you know, in wow. a little conversation and three weeks later he was dead, you know? So I almost yeah. feel like it was meant to be for me to say goodbye to him that way. I'm so glad you got to say goodbye to him. So getting that role on winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty, that must've been a, a, a big deal for you. Surreal. I actually replaced someone who I think failed COVID test. They called me a night before, uh, so I didn't know what 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 I'm gonna do. And then they put me in the scene as a as a police officer. And I'm directed by Jonah Hill. He was the director of that of that. Episode. So yeah, yeah, I love that guy. Like whole I, party, I party with that guy. He's fun people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me it was it was incredible because uh, I wrote a book about the Lakers, right? And um, Yes. And I'll say one thing, like for me, when, when I heard about what happened to Kobe Bryant for three days, I was, I was like numb. I couldn't, I couldn't collect my thoughts. I was absolutely shocked, depressed. Oh, yeah. it, it hit me very, very, very hard. And I'll tell you this. Up until that time, I was still writing a little bit, you know, about sports. Yeah, I was still going to games. I was still doing some, you know, stand-up. I was still thinking about doing more shows. I was, you know, I was doing five, six, seven, eight different things. And when that happened, after three days of mourning, I'm like, what he tried to tell me in 2007, it's mean, follow your heart. And, and if you, you didn't quite 100% follow it, you know, you followed a little bit, but you didn't give like 100% commitment because you were doing all those other things. Right. And I decided to fully focus on acting, even if sometimes that means you don't work for a month and you go crazy, right? But I decided to to go for acting, and I was rewarded with all those with all those projects that came right after I made that decision, almost almost immediately, right? So, so one more time, Kobe's advice, even post mortem, 
uh, played a big impact in my life for like on, on my second try almost. Wow. What a wow. story, Martin. Wow. And wow. I want to talk about one more before we let you go. And that's working on the gray man, which is one of those highlighted projects. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge film, uh, Netflix, one of Netflix's biggest films of all time, wasn't it? And, and I guess they're hitting at a sequel, but I was curious about your experience on The Gray Man. Yeah, I almost missed that gig because I was uh, initially booked for two episodes of Stranger Things and they extended me on Stranger Things for the third episode. And I, I had already my dates for uh, Gray Man. And I remember, and I'm, I kid you not, my last day on Stranger Things, AJ Bruno, who, who was uh, second AD, and he was responsible for, you know, for communicating between between directors and producers and actors, runs to me at 7:30 p.m. local time in Atlanta, showing from from distance, you you rap, you rap. So I could call Uber, drive to the airport to wow. catch my last plane to Los Angeles because oh, I had to so... get my bidding next morning in Long Beach. So if that didn't happen, I would have missed Rayman. You but would have missed Rayman. Last minute, they finally let me go on Stranger Things. I was able wow. to play. I was able to, after sleeping for two and a half hours, three hours, go to fitting in Long Beach. And by the way, I shouldn't say that because at the time there were still some some COVID restrictions about traveling from state to state. But right. well, well, I couldn't we made it. You got to do it. It's already, it's already in the can, kid. Don't worry about it now. <laughs> so you get to the Gray Man set. How was it? It was great. I met actually um, a friend of mine, and it's weird how in this business and how in this, this, uh, in this body of work, we meet, we run into people that you didn't see for many, many years, but you share some past with. And a friend of mine, uh, we were in Beverly uh, Hills Playhouse, which is an acting school in Los Angeles. And uh, we were born in the same class back in 2011. And then 11 years later, uh, we're on set and he's the one of the head of uh, stunt coordinators on the film. And I'm an actor in it. And and we we work together for, for the whole day. And they, I think, also because of that little bit, kept me for, for more time, for more days as a consultant mm-hmm. after I did my acting part and to help with, with the Czech language a little bit. Oh wow! So, so yeah, it, it was it was a fun experience. And right after Grayman, I did the Lakers show, and then the Better Call Saul. So those three months, Amsterdam, Stranger Things, uh, Grayman, Lakers show, and Better Call Saul, all in less than three months. That was that was crazy. You're on fire. You're on that, fire, that Martin. Best, my, the best three months for me, you know. That is fantastic. Well, Martin, we thank you so much, man. This is an incredible Great. interview and yeah. inspiration uh, for actors. And I guess one more question. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give for for the actors trying to 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 make it, trying to become a working actor? Of course, well, there's so many actors, uh, myself and Elise included. You know, we we love we love what we do. But um, do you have any advice um, now that you're at that level that you can give? You know, there's still more more levels to to go to, and I you always want to challenge yourself to do better. Uh, I think you know to to keep to keep growing. There's yeah, I think that sometimes I, I'm seeing like certain patterns in in certain careers, you know, like because I like to look at that, you know, Kobe used to do it with basketball, where sometimes people book few things and then they get a huge ego and they stop working, right? Because they feel like, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. You, you have to keep, keep yourself uh, hungry, but the most important is the love for the game. You just have to love the game. If, if you, you know, there's so many people that I met especially in my early days in the, in Los Angeles in, in pursuing acting that they, they I think they pursued acting for wrong reasons for the fame for whatever fame yeah. or trying to impress people or right. killing they didn't love the craft of it I mean there there's no bad reason per se as long as you're really willing to do whatever it takes uh, craft wise in terms of like learning your craft and working on your craft without getting in, in immediate uh, gratification in terms of I do this and this and this, that means I'm going to get this and this job. No, it doesn't work that way in acting. You know, you can keep working, 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 nothing happens. And then suddenly few things happen and you don't expect that. This is just, but it doesn't, doesn't make you pick those moments because it's not up to you. You have to keep working on your craft every day, no matter how busy you are with actual gigs. You just have to find find ways to learn a new language, 
uh, learn a new skill. Uh, I don't know. You want, you know, the, for example, you, you think what show you like, Cobra Kai? Why don't you try to learn some karate, right? Yes, I love that show, by the Maybe way. Maybe <laughs> Or uh, singing or ballet or, or Taekwondo. You know, there's there's so many more things you can you can learn. And that, that can help you with your acting. I think the fact that I worked as a reporter in my life helped me to get a job yes. as a reporter on the staircase because I knew uh, exactly how to play an annoying reporter that goes and, and you know, like what type, <laughs> what type of annoying would I be to get yeah. him annoyed at me? Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. Wow. Thank you so much, Martin. This is great, man. Oh, and uh, before, before we uh, end, uh, if you do a promo for us, let us know who you are throughout some of your, your works, uh, Stranger Things, uh, The Gray Man, Amsterdam, and then let us know you're on Below the Belt show. So I should just say- yeah, that- say I'm, I'm Martin Harris. You might know me from this and that, um, and I'm on Below the Belt show, and you can throw out anything you want at the end. Hey guys, this is Martin Harris from Stranger Things, Amsterdam, Better Call Saul, Staircase and the voice of Kruger on Call of Duty. You're watching Below the Belt show, and you're listening to Below the Belt show. Yes. Thank you so much, Martin. Incredible, and best best of luck to you. Let me ask you, where you guys live? You're in New York. We're in New York. I'm in New York. Yep. Okay. Uh, You have time, or you don't have time? Oh, uh, as far as uh, what you had something else to add? No, 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 not to add to the show, but I'm I want to tell you guys the story before before you go. Or, or yeah, you don't want? Yeah, please, yeah, please, yeah, go ahead. Because yeah. I had actually phone call from a from a casting director uh, today from New York uh, for a job, and I told him this story, and it it, it and he didn't tell this story for 15 years, but it's a pretty crazy story for someone who lives in New York. Okay, so I'll tell you that. You you'll get it as a New Yorker. So in 2003. They, uh, I was hired by a Polish, biggest Polish sports newspaper. And they sent me to, for six days to United States to do some uh, exclusive materials. First in New York, then I would, be go, uh, I would be in Los Angeles for three days. That would come for one day in New York and fly back home. And they gave me one of two company uh, laptops, which at the time were like rarity. It's super expensive and, you know. We didn't have that many of we had two for the whole company. So they gave me like one of the company's laptops. So I stayed in Greenpoint with uh, my friend's uh, family and there was a Polish neighbor. We went out for a few drinks and my plane from LaGuardia was like 4 a.m. And so I didn't sleep at all. And I had a car service order at 3 a.m. And so I come outside and there is no car service. And I'm panicking that I'm going to miss my flights. I'm running around and I see this yellow cap. And I'm like waving at the yellow cap and the yellow cap takes me, drives me to the airport. One important information. On the way to the airport, he stopped and a lady comes into the cab on, on the driver's seat, next to the driver's seat, the first passenger seat. And that was the wife of the driver. And she mentioned something that she's also a taxi driver. So they're Polish. We have a little conversation. They drop me at the airport. I go to the airport. I go to the plane. No laptop. No. Three days, I'm flying back, and I know that I'll be in deep, deep trouble. So the next day, I know I have 10 hours pretty much to fix the problem. What do I do? And at the time, they had like 10,000 yellow caps in that district. So first I found the closest district, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like trying to explain. Come on, man, you know, go. It's gone. <laughs> right. But I'm like, I, need, I need it. You know, there's, it's very important for me. It's, uh, I know it was a Polish driver and he had a wife and she was also a Polish driver. How many, you know, couple drivers you have, you know, are, first of all, I didn't know they're in this, this depository, but luckily enough, they were. And at some point I was so annoying, so persistent that the guy looked at me and he's like, wrote the number and the address. Here you go. And never come back. So I went back to Greenpoint. I took like a, one of the biggest guys I, I could find to go with me. We go to the address. I knock at the door and I could hear someone moving inside, but it's dark and nobody's answering. Okay, so we went back to Greenpoint, took the third guy with us. We go back. I knock. 
One more time, I sense that someone is moving. So I'm like, I just want my laptop. And there was like five days after initially I left the laptop. And there was no guarantee that I left it in the taxi. I could have left it at the airport. There was no guarantee that it's the, the same couple that they were in the taxi, but it was the same couple. So when I said that, they opened the door, my laptop comes out. <gasps> no! What did I find out? They were illegals. They were scared that I'm from the government. Oh my um, God. I had one day to find a laptop in the, in the cab that I didn't know nothing. Didn't know the plate, didn't know Very the name, lucky. the wow. address. And I got it done. Wow. That is like New York story, but like with that reporter investigation, I'm not taking yeah. no for an answer. You can hang up on me 50 more times. I'm still going to find, I, I know where your kids, you know, go to school. Yeah, this could be a short film. film. Idea. Short film this idea. is a good one. I actually really like that idea. Good thinking. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So let and us I, know. Hey, the stakes were high because I would get fired probably at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And that's what I think like the best, you know, your best acting experience comes from, you know, maybe what's happening in the scene doesn't really speak to you, but you remember that one time that you had 24 hours to get your laptop back before you lost your job and maybe all your credibility (laughs) or, and every other job that happened because like you lost that one laptop, you know? Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's great. You know, took a little bit extra of your time. Sorry for that. I know you. We love it. Course. Awesome. And let's take a photo Wait. op, all right? On on the count of three. Ready? One, two, and did that work? Yeah, it did. Oh. Awesome. Okay. Martin, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you, Martin. Thank all you. All the best to you. And all the best, best to you guys too. I'm in the new I'll be in new season of Miss Maisel. So I went to, to oh. New York a couple months ago and uh, I'm looking forward to come back more to New York. It's and I love I love the city. Yes. Wow. Please let us we'll know when you're a, coming to town. Yeah, let's have, let's have a drink. And it seems okay. like you do like enjoy a drink or two. So <laughs> you sound like one of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I used to I used to enjoy more. I mean, I'm originally from Eastern Europe. I'm I'm more now into like a, a gym and waking up 6 a.m. and meditate the kind of portion of yeah. my life. You know, but staying oh. staying hydrated. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's too long. You know, living too long <laughs> in Los Angeles probably. That's what. It is. <laughs> Thank you so much, Martin. You have a good night. You too. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.